Amen. All right, I'm going to start out reading in Hebrews just to get us started a little bit to talk about Jesus and the gospel. So in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it says, For it was fitting for him, that's Jesus, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to perfect, uh, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. For one reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he had suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. It's kind of a complicated section of scripture. Hebrews is kind of a complicated book. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff going on in Hebrews. But I really like this section of scripture. It's because it's just dealing with Jesus Christ and what... It is that he has done for us. I think it's amazing. This ties into so many things that we've been talking about. About where it says that for whom are all things. And through whom are all things. And bringing many sons to glory. We understand that God is sovereign over all these things. We've already covered the sovereignty of God. And understand how it is that. He is uh, the one that's in charge of everything, right? And he's the one that ties us and brings everything together. He's the one that holds everything together. He's the one that created everything. So it makes sense that he's the one that holds all these things together and brings them together perfectly, which is dealing with his providence also that we're going to be talking about tonight. But he goes on and he talks about how that he brought many sons to glory, and he said, and it says, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Jesus made a propitiation, is what it says later on. Uh, that just means that he satisfied God's wrath upon himself. God was satisfied in the death of Christ on our behalf because all of our sins was imputed to Jesus on the cross. Jesus died in our place. We should have been the one that was nailed to the cross. And in doing so, in doing all these things, in taking that sin upon himself, he really did make perfect our salvation. He's the author of our salvation, as it talks about here. And he made it perfect by his great sacrifice, and it says, through sufferings. We understand that Jesus suffered, and he suffered greatly. He suffered in our place. He suffered so that we would not have eternal suffering, right? So that we could have eternal life. And so Jesus comes and he does all this stuff for us to be able to be a propitiation for God. And that's just, that's the gospel. This is the thing that we celebrate. This is why that we talk about how that he became truly man, right? We've talked in this class about him becoming truly man, and this really ties into that, showing that he had to be made just like us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. So he became one of us, so that way he could be our perfect high priest. That's why that there is no priest between God 
in us today, right? There used to be in the Old Testament. Uh, Roman Catholics still think that there are, but there isn't. Jesus Christ is our high priest. We pray directly to him, right? And we can, and that's a great honor. That's a, an amazing privilege that we get. We get to talk to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who spoke this entire creation into existence. We can talk to him anytime we want to. We can go to him and pray to him. We can ask him to meet our needs. We can ask him to, to help us through things that we're having difficulty with. And that's one of the things that this talks about. It says that he had suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So we know that everybody's tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. We have to understand that. Temp temptation isn't a sin. What's a sin is when we act upon the temptation, right? When we act upon the temptation. We know even Jesus was tempted. He was taken out into the desert and was tempted by Satan, but he never sinned. So that's one of the things that we need to understand is because of the gospel, because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, he set us free from the bondages of slave, uh, the, the slavery of sin and death so that we can make actually free decisions. He really does set us free to where we can actually not, not act out the things that we are tempted by, right? That's another amazing thing that the gospel does for us. But we always want to start out just talking about Jesus Understanding the gospel, understanding that we can't be saved in any other way. There's no other way to have eternal life except through Jesus Christ. We can't earn it. Uh, it's only faith in Jesus. That's the only way that we can be saved. We want to start the study with, with understanding that because um, it's the most important thing. And then really this ties into the providence of God, which is what we've been talking about. And we are on page 138 page 138. Last week we talked a little bit about the difference uh, between providence and a miracle and talked about um, how that these are different things. And um, then we went in and read a little bit in the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism in the Heidelberg and we read a few quotes just kind of solidifying what it is that the providence of God is. We started out a little bit talking about Abraham and Isaac, too, back um, Genesis 22, 7 through 8, and we're going to continue talking a little bit about that tonight because I brought up how that God was sovereign in um, this entire story of Isaac and Abraham. Um, <clears throat> so there's, there's, there's a lot of things, really, that's going on. I talked last week about the, the best way for me to describe the providence of God is um, is it's to me it's like a, a big tidal wave right that's kind of crashing down and pushing things but instead of bringing chaos like a, a tidal wave normally does it actually is pushing things into place and it's pushing things into place perfectly it's an unstoppable force it's something that you can't get in front of and go I'm gonna stop this tidal wave right this thing's just it's gonna push you where where it wants to push you and that's the providence of God he's coming he's driving all things causing all things to come together for the good of those who love him right that's one of the things that we talked about last week and so on page 138 down toward the bottom of the page it's the things where we left off um, uh, Deus pro nobis is the Latin slogan that was used throughout church history that means God for us. This is speaking of how God's providence works all things together for us. This was a, a slogan that I like. It's one that, um, that I, I wish that we still use today. There's a lot of good slogans that the early church used, especially the reformers. They had some pretty amazing stuff, but this is just one dealing with the providence of God. We talked last week about how that, the, the, especially right after the Reformation, the church really had a very high understanding of the providence of God. We've kind of gotten away from that today. It's not talked about much. We hear mention of the providence of God, but it's rare to actually have somebody sit down and inform us of what that means, especially with a, a razor-sharp 
theological understanding, kind of like what we did last week when we started splitting hairs last week over the difference between a miracle and the providence of God. But I think that these things are helpful for us to understand exactly what we're dealing with when we're talking about this. So the next point here says, technically speaking, if we look closely at the word providence, it means the same thing as the word foresee, theologically speaking, providence, is a much greater concept than simply foresight. So if you actually look up the word, start looking at synonyms, you'll see that that's a synonym of providence. But the closest single word that I think that we can relate to in understanding the providence of God is the word provision. The word provision. I think provision is a a good uh, synonym providence. Uh, Provision, whenever you start looking at the technical definition of that word, it means to see beforehand, right? Um, And we know that the Bible teaches that uh, it's a man's responsibility to be the provider of his family, to make provision for his family. And if he doesn't, it talks in 1 Timothy 5, 8 about how that he's worse than an unbeliever if he doesn't provide for his family. So a man's responsibility is to know in advance uh, that his family needs to be taken care of, right? And so that's why that I think that this is a, a good synonym um, provision for the word providence, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but last week we read Genesis 2, 7 through 8, that starts to kind of reinforce what I'm talking about here. I'm going to read it again here. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide, there's that word, for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. So we can see here, God will provide provision Uh, This is dealing with God's providence. So Abraham named the place Jehovah-Jireh. That's the name of of this place, right? Which means what? The Lord will provide, right? The Lord will provide. So provide or provision is the Hebrew verb um, ra'ah, R-A-A-H, ra'ah, okay? So that means to see something, ra'ah. And it's got a much deeper meaning. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. But um, it means to see something. So God is actively caring for his creatures according to his plan. That's what this, is, this, what, what this, this word will provide means in Genesis 22 verse 8. It's the barah that God is, um, he is providing perfectly. Providence is also involved in what is called the sustenance of creation. The sustenance of creation. This is a theological term. It's one that um, theologians would be familiar with. And this is all brought out in Genesis 1-1 where it says, in the beginning God created and the word is bara. God, that, that's the Hebrew word here. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, Hebrew word. I'm so, um, I didn't sleep much last night, so my brain's barely working. Uh, Hebrew word. uh, In the beginning, God created bara, the heavens and the earth. So the Hebrew word here, bara, has a a much greater meaning than just create. It's a much broader uh, definition. Um, It doesn't mean that God just simply created and then he left his creation alone and then kind of stepped back to see what would happen. We talked about that in the past and that's called deism, right? Um, That's not what created means. Uh, This word bara, um, it's not this idea. Um, And so bara is the idea um, that what God creates and he brings into being, he also sustains and preserves. So it doesn't just mean create, right? It's, it's, a, it's a much broader definition. Whenever this says that in the beginning God bara, God created, it means he didn't, it doesn't just mean he created it, but he created it 
and that he is sustaining it and that he is providing for it. He's bringing provision for it. If that starts to make sense and start to sound like providence, uh, it is, right? And so not only are we dependent on God for our being, but we are dependent upon God for the moment-to-moment existence. That he, we talked about many times how that he holds all things together. This is literally speaking. He is literally holding all things together. This is bara. That's what this means, right? Now it's this is Colossians 1.17, mm-hmm. where it says, and the Amplified says, and he himself existed and is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. Yes, that's right. So. That's good, that's good. Yeah, this is, I like this word. In the beginning, God, Barah, he created and is in the process of sustaining it. Um, he's, he's sustaining what he created, and he brings all things to pass in what we call providence, right? What, what we call providence. And so... He has to recreate it, too. Yeah, he's, go, he's going to one day. Yeah. So it's interesting, he's holding it together. Yeah. Knowing that he's going to have to do it again. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. All for our good. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. So I like that word. It, it has a deep meaning to it. it may, I hope that when you read this word in the beginning God created, now it's going to give you a much broader idea of what this means on this Hebrew word, Barah. I've got a point at the bottom of 139. It says, Remember that all of God's attributes are perfectly tied together because God is not made up of attributes. Rather, God is perfectly each attribute. Now, that price should sound like the simplicity of God, right? And we talked about the simplicity of God way back probably the second week or third week. It was early on. We talked about how that God is considered a simple being. We're, com- we're a complex being. God is a simple being, not simple to understand but simple in his being, that um, he's not made up of parts, but rather his attributes are radiating from him. And so that's a theological term called the simplicity of God. And so that's what this is dealing with. And it goes on, even saying that God's attributes are perfectly tied together isn't accurate because things that are tied are separated and joined together in one location and God's attributes are not separated and never meet together at a location. And here lies the difficulty in describing their oneness of quality. We simply distinguish between his attributes to help us understand them apart from the whole, though we cannot truly, they cannot truly be separated. And we, t- we talked about that if you reach way back when we talked about the simplicity of God. Um, we distinguish and we separate his attributes so we can understand them. Um, but in reality, they are not separated. They're a whole, right? They're a whole. That's why he's considered a simple being. Uh, we can't separate all these attributes. We can't say that God's made up of 10 parts love and 50 parts hope and five-part justice and 10% sovereignty. God is made up of all these things perfectly. Um, it's even not even right to say 100% each one because that separates them. It's all perfectly tied together. It's kind of hard for us to understand, but we have to separate them in order to understand them even though they're not separated. And that's what I'm trying to say here, right? Is that hard to hard to follow. We talked a little bit about this with the simplicity of God. Well, I think part of it is we like to separate them. Yeah, we do. You know, it's not, he's not, but we, we like to separate him because we want to call on his mercy or his justice or his love or specific or his healing. We want to get these particular things based on what we need. That's right. Sort of all a card. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That is a good, that's like. a good description. Yeah, the a la carte. We want the a la carte. That's right. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I bring this up because this is 
really where God's aseity ties in with his providence. And we, if you guys remember back on what aseity means, it's one of my favorite attributes of God to study. I love because it has such a high view of God and how that he is a, there's nothing that sustains him. He, he never had a start to his existence. He's existed um, from before time itself was created. He was the one that created time. There was never a time and a place that God didn't exist. Um, he exists in all places um, perfectly. He is um, completely um, omnipresent. And where we are sustained by oxygen and food and everything has to be perfect, we have to have water, uh, there's so many things that we have to have to sustain human life and life on this planet. God has nothing that sustains him. Mm-hmm. He's entirely different than we are. Uh, and this all deals with his aseity. And this is what we're talking about here. It, it's that where becomes even more um, complex about him becoming a man. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's just that whole thing of going from that to a human we can't even get it I can't get it I can't get how he even did it yeah yeah the hypostatic union yeah Yeah, you're absolutely right yeah Uh, taking on that nature of taking on the nature of man is um, that's an amazing thing that he did but a seity and providence ties together here because God relies on nothing to sustain him Yet we are benefactors of his providence and not only creating us, um, but sustaining us. So in the beginning, God barah, he didn't just create us, but he is sustaining us. He's providing for us. He's doing all these things for us. We are the benefactors of his amazing providence. And in him we live and move and we have our being, as it talks about in Acts 17. So the idea of, of um, sustenance is that God creates and that he preserves. So, by the way, there's no such thing as Mother Nature, right? There's no such thing as Mother Nature. That, that's something that always drove me crazy in school whenever I was in science class or, or even sometimes, you know, history or something, and Mother Nature's brought up. And I go, who's she? <laughs> who's this Mother Nature? <laughs> there has well, to be. They also want to just label certain things acts of God, mm-hmm. not the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know, and that's that's <laughs> that's something that that irritates me a little bit. But people, Christians, you know, we we talk about Christianese, and I kind of pick Christianese apart in this class quite a bit. <laughs> but one of the Christian terms that that kind of gets under my skin a little bit. It's whenever people say it's a God thing, <laughs> and I go, everything's a God thing. <laughs> everything, everything. He's sovereign. He, he, everything is a God thing. It's not like we have to say, oh, that's a God thing, but this isn't. Um, yeah, it's all a God thing. Kind of like what you just said. So yeah, so everything that happens to us, this is a point on, um, on 140, page 140, your next point says, everything that happens to us in this life falls under the providence of God and is ultimately good for us and glorifying to Him. And so we've talked a little bit in this class about how that, the reason that I'm saying this is because even the wicked in the end will glorify God. And that is through God's justice being poured out upon them. God will be glorified even in, in bringing justice to the wicked, right? So we can say that everything ultimately, in, in the ultimate sense, everything is going to glorify God, even if it's his, his wrath being poured out as justice. So now we're going to talk a little bit about concurrence, which um, concurrence is, uh, we're getting deeper now. We're getting deeper. What theologians call concurrence is the most difficult part of the providence of God to understand. And so 
Um, this is a theological term, just like many theological terms that we've gone through in this class. God concurs with everything that happens in this world. Now, when I first say that, you go, that don't sound right. But hang with me, and uh, we'll, we'll get into what this is talking about. God concurs with everything that happens in this world. So this doesn't mean that God agrees. It's not that God agrees with everything that happens in this world, but because God is perfectly sovereign and nothing happens outside of his providence, God not only ordains, we've talked about how that God has to ordain that anything happens or nothing could happen at all. So God ordains that things may happen. That even includes sin. But also concurs with everything that happens by providence. Okay? And so that this is why this starts getting kind of complicated. I talk a little bit about it on the next point. It says, we've already talked about God ordaining all things that happen or things couldn't happen because God is sovereign. This does not make God the author of sin. He ordains that we can sin and evil isn't good, but it is good that evil exists or it would not exist. Yet remember our verse in Romans 8.28 and we know that God causes... This is concurrence, by the way. God causes all things to work together for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So the manner in which this plays out, right, uh, by divine providence is called concurrence when you're getting into the theological technical terms. This is how the God intersects with sin. So sin's happening we know uh, there's many things that, that's, that's happened that God takes a sin or a bad action or something that, that people have done intentionally evil and God intersects with these things and causes these things to sway into his plan and will just like a, a river, like a, a drop of water in a river. It's going to go with the flow of the river, right? And so this is what um, this is talking about. And so we can see an example of this in Genesis 50, 19 through 20. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for, I, for am I in God's place? And remember, he's talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery here. His, his brothers were terrified because they, tried to, they were going to kill him. And one of them says, no, let's just sell him. We'll sell him into slavery. And they thought he was dead because it had been many years. And then all of a sudden, he's the highest guy under Pharaoh in the, in the entire world. And so he's here, and he's talking to his brothers. Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. This is that sinful action. This is that drop in the river, right? God's providence, his concurrence. It's like a river concurring, like two forks of a river coming together. Uh, that's called a concurrence. Uh, whenever they come together, the, all these water droplets, they may be separate, but they're all flowing in God's perfect plan. And so... Um, this next point says concurrence means that God w works his divine will even through our intentional rebellion. Even through our intentional rebellion. So another example of, of concurrence is whenever Judas betrayed Jesus. God didn't make Judas betray Jesus. Uh, but he used J Judas's betrayal for everybody who blo who belongs to him, for everyone's good, right? And so this was how that something evil, an evil action, was taken, and by the providence of God through concurrence, brought it to a perfect plan and used it for God's glory and for our benefit, right? Well, it's nice that these are in here, but in both instances, you see the good. But in so many things that happen in life, you never see the good. Yeah. And that's what this, the challenge really is. It is. You understand how he's working and eventually, which I like that word, ultimately. Yeah. But 
that's the hardest thing is you know ultimately it is but for someone that evil has happened to and they they do not understand how there's ever going to be good that comes out of that and that's we right. may never see that and a person may never see that and they may never even be able to get beyond what happened to them mm, yeah and that's that's the tough part of this whole thing because yeah. the whole thing where you know is talking about good for us well eventually eventually <laughs> ultimately <laughs> i understand that but there's so many but that's only believers get that right but yeah. if you're not a believer you don't ever get that yeah insight yeah. Yeah, you're right. And that's what's really hard to try to talk to people about. And that's what blocks a lot of people from even wanting to talk about God because they say, well, if he if God was real, he wouldn't have let this happen to me. You're right. That is the that's cry such of the world. A tough, yeah. That's a tough place to be, really hard place to be. It is. It is. Yeah, I always like to take them back to the fall, you know, whenever people start bringing that up. Um, and then talking about how that it's amazing that anything good happens to us at all right. <laughs> because of the that fall. That is a good point, bringing yeah. it back to that none of us actually deserve anything good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure Steve's dealt with point. this a lot because oh being goodness. being a counselor, a professional counselor here, yeah. you, this was your career, <laughs> right? Well, thank goodness it wasn't day in and day out. <laughs> Those were the toughest ones, and yeah. there's not a lot that you're gonna actually say, other than you know that that isn't gonna come off kind of like Christianese. Okay. Yeah, you know, but that. God ultimately, in spite of the fall, involved himself in a very intimate and painful way in our suffering in order to redeem it all. Yeah. And sometimes that connects and sometimes it's like, but you don't understand and I can't see how any good can ever come. Now my daughters are not going to have a father and, you know, how can good come out of that? And it's, yeah, it's hard to understand, isn't it? You know, you just kind of keep handing it back. Because you can't really talk them out of it, but sometimes over time, that anger kind of subsides. And they ultimately realize what we all have to realize is the only answer is to trust God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That He does have a plan that's beyond our comprehension. Yeah. And... Uh, but that's if they're a believer. And I mean, it's yeah. hard enough if they're a believer. If they're yeah. not, it's... Yeah, it's another altogether conversation. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It really is. Just trying to get them to survive day by day. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget that these guys that we read about in the in the Bible were, were real people, too. Mm -hmm. um, and... It, it's easy for us to just kind of read over that, uh, but we can imagine if if we were Joseph, <laughs> like God, he wasn't omniscient, you know. Joseph had no idea what was going on. All he knew is his brothers wanted to kill him. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can imagine the betrayal that he mm -hmm. felt by his brothers, all selling him into slavery. I mean, to him, it must have looked absolutely hopeless. I mean, there were so many points in his life that must have just crushed him but his faith in God really sustained him right that's one of the things that that sets us apart from the world is we have something that they don't and that's that faith you know we we know that God's we do know that he's working all things even in the midst of tragedy we don't we don't know what he's working out and sometimes he may we may not even see it in this lifetime mm -hmm. joseph was lucky enough that he did see it yeah. in this lifetime and um, he was he was taken and put into a totally different culture to be able to sustain his faith <laughs> in god in that situation was yeah. tr truly amazing it was yeah it's a wonderful story yeah yeah absolutely those are good points though
Um, on 141, the next point says the doctrine of concurrence is tied in with God's decreative will. So you think back when we went through the wills of God, one of the wills of God was his decreed will. And if you remember what God's decreed will means, it's that which we may not know. It's something that, uh, as Calvin says, when God shuts his holy mouth, he said, I'm not going to attempt to pry it open. Uh, so there's some, there's some things that he's silent about, but when he decrees something, whenever he speaks something, uh, it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. So this is just another intersection. We talked about how that his aseity intersects with this, but his decreative will intersects with providence and concurrence also. Uh, they really all, we could take time and we could bring all of his attributes into providence if we really had the time to do it in this class. But it's kind of cool when you start seeing how all these things perfectly work together. And so I got another quote from Thomas Watson. I've got a bunch from Watson all through this study. Puritan, he's a Puritan theologian, probably my favorite Puritan to read, the easiest Puritan to read, no doubt. Um, and so, does anybody want to read this quote from Thomas Watson? I can read it. Okay. Yes, the things that seem to us irregular, God makes use of to his own glory. Suppose you're in a smith's shop and, and should see... There are several sorts of tools, some crooked, some bowed, others hooked. Would you condemn all these things because they do not look handsome? The smith makes use of them for all doing his work. Thus it is with the providence of God. They seem to us to be very crooked and strange, yet they all carry on God's work. <laughs> that's, that's such a good, I mean, such a good quote, and so simple to understand. Um, First up, though, he's talking about people. <laughs> yeah. Well, crooked and strange. Yeah, he may be talking about me there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, God's providence is seen in inanimate objects, and so this I've got a quote from Calvin on this. Uh, does anybody want to read this one? I'll read it. Okay. But whoso has learned from the mouth of Christ that LOL. <laughs> Lol, I think. Lol. Low, maybe it's supposed to be low, the hairs of his head are numbered. We'll look farther for the cause and hold that all events whatsoever are governed by the secret counsel of God. With regard to inanimate objects, again, we must hold that though each is possessed of its peculiar properties, yet all of them exert their force only insofar as directed by the immediate hand of God. Hence they are merely instruments into with God, into with God constantly infuses what energy he sees meet and turns and converts to any purpose at his pleasure. Mm. And that reminds me of the volcano in Hawaii. Okay, and it stopped right before the highway. Wow. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's like. That's God's providence. Yeah, that's right where God wanted it to stop. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so I got several points here that kind of fires after this. Uh, and this is all dealing with, with Calvin's quote. God directs the hairs on our heads. For some, he chooses to let many of them die. And others have a fine head of hair. <laughs> so this is just, it, this is it, even dealing with the little minor details, what we think are, are small things. Calvin here is saying God, through providence, oversees all these things, even these small things, right? God directs the science but but behind all that we see. He is the author and sustainer of gravity, ocean tides, and planet orbits. If he desired Earth's orbit to cease, it would cease. Uh, because he is perfectly sovereign and his providence is like that tide, right? Moving things into place, making, causing things to react, causing things to come together. 
God directs the soil, rock, and trees. He causes the soil to have nutrients, to sustain plants. He tells the rocks to remain together or shatter into a rock slide. He directs the tree to grow or wither. All the elements behind science are directed by God. This is all dealing with his perfect providence and the way that he's holding all things together. He's causing all things to work together. He's doing all these things through what we call providence. It's a very big concept. It's, it goes so, so far beyond just what we um, see and um, the thing, the course of our lives that seems to be set. Right? It, it has to do with every little detail of this planet. It's all under the providence of God and how that it, it, he interacts with all of it and causes all of it to come about. And so I've got a question. Since God's providence is seen in both animate, uh, animate objects and inanimate objects, why should we fear the future? <laughs> kind of a rhetorical question there, but when you start seeing how that God is, is perfectly sovereign, and whenever he decrees something or ordains something, it, it comes to pass. Um, he's working all these things. He's causing, as it says, all things to come together uh, for those who love him. When we start seeing how that he's in perfect control of every little detail, even the hairs of my head, uh, even rock slides and, and the nutrients of plants and everything, right? He's in control of all these things through providence. Uh, why should we ever fear? Why should we ever fear the future, right? Um, it's so easy for us to do. It's easy for us to worry. It's, it's easy for us to, to start thinking of, um, well, you know. Let's see, after you get this, take this study, you don't fear anything. Yeah. I mean, less and less. <laughs> Absolutely. Once you get it, it changes your perspective. It does. And um, and worry is a sin. So. Yeah. You know. Yep. That's right. That's right. And that's the point, right? Well, and it's the same thing we're talking about. You know, I'll go to this. I'll make these plans or those plans. I mean, it's also about not trying to make a whole lot of plans because we're not in charge. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it talks about in James, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. An analogy probably most people have heard that ties in with what, especially with what Linda was talking about, is the, the story of the, the child that's sitting on the floor watching his grandmother work on needlepoint. And he sees all these odd threads and colors, and he says, Grandmother, why are you making such an ugly mess? And she says, come here, my child. Yeah. And so from the other side, it all makes sense. It all makes sense, that's right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Absolutely. We got one more quote here from Calvin. Steve, you want to read this one? to whom heaven and earth belong, and, the, and whose not all creatures must obey, is fully able to reward the homage which we pay him, and they can rest secure in the protection of him to whose control everything that could do them harm is subject, by whose authority Satan, with all his furies and engines, is curved as with a bridle, and on whose will everything adverse to our safety depends. In this way, and in no other way, can the immoderate and superstitious fears excited by the dangers to which we are exposed be calmed or subdued. I say superstitious fears, for such they are, as often as the dangers threaten by any created object inspired us with such terror that we tremble as if they had in themselves a power to hurt us, or could at random, or by chance, or as if we had not in God a sufficient protection against them. For example, Jeremiah 
forbids the children of God to be dismayed at the signs of heaven as the heathen are dismayed at them. He does not indeed condemn every kind of fear, but as unbelievers transfer the government of the world from God to the stars, imagining that happiness or misery depends on their decrees or presages, and not on the divine will. The consequence is that their fear, which ought to have reference in him only, is diverted to stars and comets. Let him, therefore, who would beware of such unbelief, always bear in mind that there is no random power or agency or motion in the creatures who are so governed by the secret counsel of God that nothing happens but what he has knowingly and willingly decreed. Mm. That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a mouthful and it's a massive concept, isn't it? It's a massive concept here. And all he's doing is he's talking about basically the, that question I ask, why should we fear? He, he's basically saying here, you know, whenever you do, you're putting power in fear, right? You're, it's like you're, uh, he, he even refers to, um, you know, the, the stars and the comets as if they are God. Mm -hmm. They are no God at all. And that's, that's what he's trying to say here. Uh, if you're going to a, a fortune teller or a psychic or reading your horoscope because you're afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow, which was obviously very prevalent also even in John Calvin's time, then you're really not trusting in God at all. And you do have reason to fear, probably, because you really don't belong to him. But if you belong to, to God, if, you, if you're a Christian, you, you don't turn to these things. You have no need for them because we understand God's providence. We understand God's sovereignty. We understand that he's working all these things out. He, we have nothing to fear when we know that his hand is upon us. We belong to him. We're his children. We have nothing to fear whatsoever. And that's, that's what Calvin's bringing out here. I think there's some pretty cool stuff he says in that quote. And it reminded me of the whole thing about the global warming and all that, where people think man can do something about the planet, like we can have less beef, and we can not use gas, and we can, like, we can do all these things, like man can take control of the planet. And that's just so bizarre. Yeah. Well, in the so bizarre. Literally, <laughs> Literally in the last year or so, they've had they've sent up uh, rockets to nudge comets on their course in case a big one is headed for Earth because we have to protect the Earth mm. from being destroyed <coughs> by a comet. We people have to do that. Yeah. So it's our responsibility, right? Yeah. NASA has done a study where they've looked at, we learned about this in school, but they've done a study where they looked at all the factors that had to perfectly fall into place for the Earth to just like magically appear. And they created a documentary about it, and it's all these people that are likely not believers, but they unknowingly confirm the existence of not just God, but some higher power if they don't believe in God. And it's really almost funny in a way to watch them try to say like oh yeah the thing you know but when they like do these statistical like statistic calculations to try and find the probability of the earth just randomly forming and it's a number so big they can't even like say it yeah. and then we look at like Louis Giglio's talk that he did on like if the earth was a golf ball I don't know if you've seen that one but like the earth is so small in comparison to like all the other stars and planets and so for God to like put that much care and detail into a planet that's minuscule in comparison to the rest of the universe and then you look at like the molecule that holds our bodies together and it's shaped like a cross right. and so you have these stars that are so big like your mind can't even comprehend and God created those but then you're held together by a molecule that's shaped like a cross. And it's just like insane. It's like, how can you not believe? Yeah. Yeah. 
But it's because you don't want to believe, right? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. then you might have to submit. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, but if somebody's going to put their trust in the government to save the planet, right? <laughs> right. That's pretty scary, right there. Oh. Indeed. Indeed. Uh -huh. Yeah. The next point here says God has providence over the seconds of our lives. He has given us a measure that will not be stopped by outside causes. Outside causes are directed by God. And so I put this in here because you know, so many people, especially the world, they're so concerned with trying to to sustain their life as long as possible. Um, and really we're God is the director of those things, right? He's the one that has um, ordained an exact second that each one of our lives end. And for the believer, that's really a celebration day. It really is. For those who are lost, of course, it, it's something else. Um, but we, we really should trust the maker and the sustainer of all things with both our lives and the lives of of people that we love we should um, really be reminded of this uh, and it's, it's something that we will be reminded of because we all uh, face tragedy uh, whether it's in our own family or with ourselves there's things that we have to face in in this life but God's in control of these things I, I don't try to I, I don't have to go to a to some palm reader and say hey when am I going to die right that's not for me to know it's not none of these things are really anything that I concern myself with and I don't think we should we should concern ourselves with glorifying God no matter what it is uh, that we're facing in all things and we can find how to glorify God uh, in the difficult things and I think that he's pleased when we do um, whenever we we take the, the tragic things the hard things and we find how that we are going to glorify God through them um, that's the thing that uh, that we should should get out of this is um, he's in control of these things he's in control of everything he's doing everything for our good even if we don't like like it if it, even if it's something difficult um, He's God, and He's bringing all these things together perfectly. And so we should trust Him, right? We should trust Him. So can I complicate things a little bit with a question about that? Yeah. So looking at the this concept of concurrence, Yeah. and um, let's say that, that I in my life, I'm looking at two possible paths that I can take. One would be to drink as much alcohol and smoke as many cigarettes and eat as much bacon as I want right. every day for the rest of my life. And the other would be that to treat my body as, as a, a temple, temple and not do those things. So we can't really know because it's it's the it's a hypothetical. Right. But could the concurrence concept be operating to give me a longer, more fruitful life if I am doing God's will in regards to the treatment of my body? Say no. Okay. I would really say no because we see so many things happen regardless of age. And health. And health. And one of the things in the grief share says we will all think about after we're gone how much money we spent on all this stuff that we thought we were gonna mm -hmm. make ourselves live longer <clears throat> because we cannot make ourselves live one second longer like it just said right one second longer than God has for us now the quality of how we live <laughs> we are more affected by the quality of our life by our choices mm -hmm. than the length of our life. And our eternal rewards and maybe tied in with all of that. Right. Yeah. Determ because it determines how fruitful we are. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 
Yeah, it's an interesting concept, though. You know, and I'm not an environmentalist, but I even think in terms of, okay, if we trash the planet, that's not God's will. I mean, He gave us responsibility, responsibility yeah. for it. So it's all ordained in terms of how long it lasts, and it's going to be burned up anyway at some point. Mm -hmm. But I guess I don't see a lot of things as really as black and white as I think a lot of conservative Christians do in terms of we've got some responsibilities right. for our bodies and for our planet. Yeah. And yes, God's sovereign. <laughs> that's, that's also true. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We can, you know, our body is the temple of God. We, we, um, it is our responsibility to, to, to try to take care of it as best we can. And the reason it does get complicated is because, you know, we can decide if we want to go out here and jump off a cliff and die. We can. We can cut our lives short. Um, but that's something that does fall into. Do that. Exactly. That's it's still it's still a drop in the in that river of God's concurrence, right? Yeah. It's still something that God's bringing together. Yeah, um, that's hard. That's yeah. really hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I know some people right now that are in going in those directions mm -hmm. because of losses, telling me they're saving up pills or they're drinking themselves to death. Yeah. Either one of those things is obviously, I begin to wonder if they're believers. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a difficult um, thing to comprehend and understand for sure. It can get complicated. Yeah, so that's pretty much it on our study. We got about five minutes. We can go through these questions real quick. The first question says, do you remember the foundational verse for God's decreative will? Way back, way back several months ago, the foundational verse. So you guys remember? It's in Deuteronomy. If I remember, Deuteronomy twenty-nine, twenty-nine. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. That was the foundational verse that we used. Good verse for us to understand. Um, this is how that his decreed will ties in with providence. Second question says, How is Paul sure that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him? Why do you think Paul's so sure of this? Because Jesus told him. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's a good answer. <laughs> he believed, didn't he? He believed. He believed what God told him. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. He's sure because he's seen uh, God's power <laughs> in his own life, right? He's seen God's providence. He's seen how that God has taken him going one direction, spinning him around, and now he's going the complete other direction right he's seen this played out and, and when they threw him in prison thinking that they were going to harm him mm -hmm. or silence him he wrote the new testament yeah exactly yeah. yeah that's right he's seen it he's seen one good thing after another the world's trying to kill him <laughs> or he's want to do his own thing and god says nope and he's seen all these things come together for sure uh the next question says what does the word Providence mean? Does anybody want to take a stab at just a quick definition of providence? That should be an easy one. I just think of it as God's plan that He's working out. Yeah. And like you said, it's from the smallest to the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. All that He provides to make that plan mm -hmm. yeah. come together through time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's all unfolded in time and space. Where can we find the first illustration of God's providence in the Bible? I want to say Genesis 1-1. One, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. There's a bunch That's of them right. in Genesis. Let's That's put right. it that way. <laughs> That's right. You're right. Barah. 
Uh-huh. Right? The word bara. That's right. You're, you're, you hit it. All right. What is the doctrine of concurrence? God's ability to bring about his providential plan taking into account the choices and stupidity of people. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's what I need to write that down. <laughs> yeah, taking into consideration the stupidity of people. Yeah. People sin, right? Taking uh, taking things that were intended for evil, like we see with Joseph. Um, the world may do things that they intended for evil against us. And, uh, and God is, through concurrence, bringing all things together for our good. Everything. Even the evil things that people do against us. He's bringing together for our good. So yeah, that's good. And that's good. the whole Bible. Mm -hmm. Because all the Bible is full of stories of sinners. All of them are sinners. And he's still moving them all through history. And he's still putting different people in power. And he's, I mean, he's just doing such amazing things. That we can't see from the bottom of the tapestry. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. By watching the news or listening to people's stories, whatever. That's how we get depressed, right? <laughs> Just turn on the news and watch it all day. You know, you'll be a really happy person. Well, it, it's interesting though to figure, to look and think like, well, how is God going to work this out? Because we know He is. Right. But we don't know how. So. Yeah. It's always a challenge there. It is. It all um, it helps us to call upon our faith, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. People, they make all things new. Yay. I'm waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to. I want to see yeah. perfect. Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> Well, very good. Very good. You guys have anything else?